Hello, thank you as always for listening to The Tully Show. It was a real pleasure to welcome Tony Thaxton back into my life and into my home for our first in-person Tully Show taping in the better part of, it's got to be two years at this point. I think you are going to enjoy the episode he and I cooked up together. Uh, real quick, first, let me remind you, patreon.com slash Mike Tully. If you like music podcasts, I'm putting one up there pretty much once a week. I did a deep dive on hair metal that might not actually suck like a week ago. Next week, let me show you my Bruce Springsteen. Uh, maybe you will find your brand new favorite band of all time on a show called I Heard These Guys Are Good and also recently released songs lives on in monthly fashion with frequent collaborator and like de facto co-host Brian Cullen. And the music pods are just the tip of the iceberg of what's happening over there. Always something new at patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Okay, you ready to start this show? <laughs> his last name, but I've seen him before, and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live, on tape, from an above-ground basement in rapidly gentrifying Culver City, adjacent California, boasting a fully obstructed view of the smog-shrouded urban sprawl of the City of Angels. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today... In the flesh, the once and future drummer of Motion City Soundtrack, the host of the Bizarre Albums podcast, and a certifiably delightful human being. Hello and welcome back, Tony Action Thaxton. Hello, Tully. It's great to see you in person. It's been... When was the last time we saw each other in person? Well, I had a job. I definitely had a job. (laughs) Sorry, I brought it up. It's been that long. (laughs) Yeah, like, what did we did we see each other last year in person? Did we at the beginning of the year? Maybe I could look it up. I would be willing to bet that we did a show before um, before the the yeah the dark dawn of March of twenty yeah twenty twenty. We're in twenty one now. Yeah, that was twenty. Yeah, it's been a minute. I've seen you virtually any number of times, and we have communicated. We have where we've reached the stage of our adult life where it requires multiple false starts to successfully meet up with someone for a cup of coffee yes you can blame me and uh, and i don't have children so i was right there with you but we're going to do it we're going to record a podcast and we are going to can you still have a hot beverage after this i think we can do that oh hell yeah we are on fire okay we're like a modern day thelma and louise just <laughs> took the words out of my mouth the leash is off <laughs> um how are things with the bizarre albums podcast these days uh, things are good. Chugging along. Recently had uh, the 100th episode Did you? about a month or so ago. Yeah, That's nice. I saved up the. Uh, I had saved. Uh, you know, it was it was one of the records on the the short list right away when I started the show, and I kept saving it for the right occasion. And yeah. I felt like 100th episode was finally time to get into Chris Gaines. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Chris Gaines. So he is doing a reissue of that. Yeah. And the statements that I saw, Garth Brooks, of course, we're speaking about. If you don't know that, you've, you're not here in the first place. He seems to talk about it now as if he can just ignore the reality that it was a national punchline and as close to a career-killing mistake as a guy in his position could have made. I just saw he's like, yeah, I'm going to put it back out. There's actually a couple other songs. I always love the Chris Gaines stuff, so hey, let's throw it out there. Yeah, he does seem to be talking differently about it. Because I feel like there are even, if I remember right, there are older interviews where he kind of is a little more honest about how people reacted to it. Although at the same time, it's looked at as, as this big failure. Yeah. But that's because he was selling 15 million records every time he put a record out. Mm-hmm. I think this. I think it's still sold like two or three million copies. Yeah, but, which, you, know, but you know that you get to a certain level where you can't not sell that yeah many. i know a, that's it a colossal just, one of these days i'm going to do an episode here just about mathematically percentage wise the biggest fall-offs people have ever had between yeah. albums and i would guess the chris Gaines thing might well be up there also that was if i'm not mistaken the album was framed as a soundtrack for a forthcoming motion picture yes. that never materialized <laughs> yeah which i actually did not remember that part until yeah. i started doing all my research because yeah it even says on the, on the actual cd it says like the pre soundtrack to the lamb is that what it was called the yeah. lamb uh-huh the weird thing is i revisited it i i want to say that we revisited the music of 
Chris Gaines, you and I, I know I did it on this show and I know it was at Sirius XM. I want to say you may have been in the room for it. The, the kind of uh, donut hole at the center of the whole thing for all of the hoopla of, you know, the flop and the attempted reinvention is the music did not stray stylistically all that much as far as I can tell. He just, he, he took a little bit of the twang off it, but I yeah. remember the single just being another half-assed Garth Brooks single, which is to say another Garth Brooks single. <laughs> yeah i had the same reaction because i i feel like yeah the perception was like oh it's garth brooks going rock or yeah. something and he had the you know the look that he had and everything and then it's you hear it and it's like oh, this yeah it's really not uh, sure it's a but it's almost a little more pop i guess than than like around, yeah i don't know the and the interesting thing is it's supposed to be uh, over the span of Chris Gaines's career, so it's supposed to start in like the mid '80s and go beyond that. But it's like, like a, a fake greatest hits, yeah. yeah. And they make, but there's no attempt whatsoever to make the songs that are supposed to be from the '80s sound like an '80s song at all. Like Even nothing production, produ- yeah, production wise, nothing. It just sounds like oh, this sounds like a new song, right? Uh, which I thought was kind of a weird choice to go so detailed with all these backstories and every song had the story behind it, and then yeah, it was like oh, we're just gonna modern modern day produce these songs hey if you're gonna play uh, a real life you know rock star who's always had you know the sex drugs rock and roll thing going on maybe lose 15 pounds before the photo shoot <laughs> there was a certain there's a bizarre mixture of hardcore commitment and complete lackadaisical <laughs> approach that really typified the chris gaines thing i know they there was a chris Gaines chris gaines fest i don't know if you touched about that no. on that he had nothing to do with it but i do think somewhere uh, somewhere in the southeast, I want to say somebody did manage to get like over one thousand people to show up for mm-hmm. a celebration of Chris Gaines, yeah. and it would have been a terrific time for him to own it and and show up because right. that's the way that you handle those things, right? When um, what's his face, uh, Mojo Nixon had Don Henley must die as a song. Don Henley hopped on stage and sang it with him. Uh-huh. That's the way you got to lean into it. Right. Wow. Don Henley had a sense of humor about something. Unbelievable, but, huh? <laughs> That's yeah. shocking. He doesn't just sit there <laughs> ruminating on the Walden Woods all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to, uh, I think it was last week's episode of Bizarre Albums, which was the album recorded by Kids Incorporated. Yes. And I don't know if... What was your reaction? I'm sure the people who follow your stuff are, you know, um, more knowledgeable about the eccentric corners of the history of popular music. To me, that's a very forgotten phenomenon. But in my life as a child, Kids Incorporated was very big. Yeah, it's it's weird. It was like somewhere in the middle for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I definitely remember it, and I uh, remember the theme song in particular was okay. like the thing that stood out the uh, most. D- yeah, yeah. Right. I couldn't have named the cast members. Or right. Anything. It right. wasn't Saved by the Bell, large looming yes. in my in my memory. Exactly. It's like I remember it existed. Mm-hmm. I remembered the theme song. Yes. But like any of the details, I really it was like, have I seen this before? I know I have, but it's it's so just yeah. not familiar. It didn't stick with me. But a lot of people, uh, when I said I was doing that, like, you know, usually like the day before the episodes come out, I'll put a little teaser up saying what tomorrow is. And like a lot of people chimed in, like excited, like, oh, my God, this is my childhood. Or there were a few people, too, that were like, thank you. I thought I was the only person that remembered this. And yeah. yeah. So I grew up in suburban New Jersey and there's certain memories that you have that are just, you, you don't revisit them for long enough that you're not sure if, if there are things that really happened or if you just dreamt them sometime and they got misfiled in your brain. I recall that there was a theater in a nearby town that was a kid's theater that had a restaurant attached and my parents took us to the restaurant and somehow we were able to gain access to the theater even though it was empty and I came away with a strong impression that that was the real Kids Incorporated. Uh-huh. And that that was where, like, the I don't know if I thought the TV... I don't think I was dumb enough to think the TV show was real. But I think I thought that when they weren't filming the TV show, the kids also performed there uh-huh. regularly. And I remember being very angry at my parents that they would not support my dream of trying to <laughs> connive away to join the cast of Kids Incorporated. Yeah. <laughs> so I... I it, I went ahead and Wikipedia that because until yesterday, I believed that that was the actual Kids Incorporated Theater, uh-huh. not understanding that it was filmed on a soundstage here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Of course. Right. So for 
at least a three week period of my childhood, I wanted nothing more in life than to be a member of Kids Incorporated. <laughs> I would say I might have dodged a bullet in not joining that cast, except for the fact that half of them did become ludicrously famous. Yeah, and and again, I uh, you know I remembered Martika being as as from there a towering figure in late 80s pop yes you can have uh, your deborah gibson's and your tiffany's i'll take toy soldiers all day yes yeah, seriously right like, that is that is a catchy song that's a it fucking is... huge chorus yeah yes thank, uh, thank you so I, I remembered her but like i did not remember or maybe didn't even know to begin with uh that fergie came from that show yeah uh, well fergie was was laundered a couple times through the pop yeah. cycle by the time she came out the other side as Fergie because yeah. she was in that girl group as well. Yeah, Wild Orchid. Yeah. Who, who can forget? Yeah. <laughs> Which I want to say was a, was an adult TV series before it was a girl group. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was one of those like Red Shoe Diary kind of things. Okay. Yeah. Neither Could here be. neither here nor there. Yeah. Um and Jennifer Love Hewitt also uh Yeah, did. which I did not know either. And uh and then yeah, not a main cast member, but Mario Lopez, old <laughs> AC Slater himself, was yeah. uh, doing some drumming and dancing on there too. And yeah, wait, there's and there's one other that came later. Uh, I'm spacing now. Yeah, somebody else, somebody else, cool. Fill in, put insert uh, person there. Listener. Yeah, well, it was uh, yeah, it was a phenomenon, and uh, and it was it was terrible. It was really, really, <laughs> really bad. That that last era of of I, I, I you know, we, we we talk about Nirvana. We continue to talk about Nirvana, and I think it's not even obviously they were not single handedly responsible for this, but they really just. It seems like the pop culture AD and BC to this day still has so much to do with. They were something breaking through to the mainstream, which was calling bullshit on the most ludicrous you know stuff that had no self-awareness whatsoever yeah just the cheesiest most ridiculous ludicrous fantasy shit that could never happen in real life just like who fucking cares hollywood baby pass the mm-hmm. pass the coke you know yeah and everything there's just so many things that 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 are holdovers from that era that you well you know i say that but then it is children's entertainment and disney channel uh, tween shows continue to be insultingly stupid <laughs> I can't say I've seen too many of the newer ones, but I, I believe it. Yeah. yeah, take my word for it. Yeah. All right, but I did not bring you here today to speak primarily of Kids Incorporated, although I'm happy to uh, talk more about Martika. <laughs> I think I might be tapped out on my Martika knowledge right now. I tried listening to the follow-up single recently, and it really was it really was Toy Soldiers and Out for Martika. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't even know if I remember the other single. I'll have to, I'll have to look that up and... and... Because, yeah, I Toy Soldiers, like, yeah, instantly no, remember it. And, yeah. But, yeah, nothing She did else. a cover of some sort, and then I think there was another album where the, the wheels the wheels were coming off for, for Martika. Yeah. Um, I have brought you here today to talk about novelty songs. But specifically, I wanted to go through with you a brief history of novelty songs that were actually huge hit songs in their own right. Yes. And Which is this is fun because uh, again you 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 sometimes tell me ahead of time what we're gonna do and sometimes yeah. you don't. I didn't know this is what we're doing today. I'm into it. I didn't I didn't know until very very recently. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a golden era of hit songs on the charts that is uh, essentially the mid 70s. Yeah. But and so you will of course be familiar between both bizarre albums and the Patreon exclusive bizarre singles that you do. I'm sure. Yes. Many, if not most, of these will not be new to you. But I think to tell the story of uh, of novelty songs that function that actually were incredibly successful on the charts, you have to go all the way back to 1947. There was a guy. I think I've heard this name before. Tex Williams, who had a song called "Smoke, Smoke, Smoke." I don't know if I know this. And this is an anti-smoking novelty song. Okay. And um, does Tex Williams object to smoking because it smells bad? No. Is it because it's bad for your health? No. He explicitly states that he does not believe smoking is bad for your health. (laughs) What Tex Williams um, took umbrage with was the fact that he was always waiting around, waiting for people to finish their cigarettes. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> and that was the nature <laughs> of Smoke, 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 which was a number one hit. In, number one. In 1947. Here, I'll play a little bit of it. Okay. 
Now, I'm a feller with a heart of gold with the ways of a gentleman, I've been told. The kind of a feller that wouldn't even harm a flea. But if me and a certain character met, the guy that invented the cigarette, I'd murder that son of a gun in the first degree. Now, it ain't cause that I don't smoke myself, and I don't reckon they hinder your health. I've smoked them all my life, and I ain't dead yet. But nicotine slaves are all the same at a petting party or a poker game. Everything's got to stop while they have that cigarette. Smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette. Life's too short. Who's got the time waiting for everyone? <laughs> wow. That... Does that make you think of another song? Yeah, it makes me think of every Johnny Cash song I've ever heard. Okay, yeah, maybe that's just what I'm... Because I immediately I was like, why does this seem familiar even though it's not? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's, but there's certain threads of music where I think people are comfortable hearing the same essential piece of music over and over again because they're just there for the lyrics. I mean, I'm just going to shit on New Country again. <laughs> to me, New Country is... is uh, it's like a different Hallmark card. Yeah. that you're reading every every time and it doesn't matter that they may have recycled the painting of the or you know the photo of the flower that's yeah. on on the cover of it but the da 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 i guess that it i mean that's like it's very uh, that's a boy, boy named, named sue, sue. Yeah, yeah yeah is once you said that yeah i'm like okay that is what i'm thinking of yeah. and this predates boy named sue by at least 20 years yeah. and i'm not sure that this was a cutting edge piece of music even in <laughs> <Right>. 1947 <laughs> i do love that lead playing though because uh, it's just it's it's ludicrous what those guys who uh they play you know the you think about the the shredding guys who came in metal years and years and years later but yeah but those those country dudes those, they're just fucking yeah. flying in the background yeah. there yeah badass <laughs> they really are they really are and i imagine so was uh so was tex williams <laughs> And then you go, well, fast forward all the way to the 60s, which is the first golden era of hit novelty songs. You have Yellow, Polka Dot Bikini. You have Purple People Eater. There's a song called Dinner with Drac, Dracula, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Those songs were all terrible. Mm -hmm. But most pop songs, fun fact, from that era were also terrible. <laughs> so it's kind of easy to see how um, a similarly terrible song that had a little bit of a joke to it could have been um, could have been a mainstream success, mm -hmm. you know. But then we get to 1968. Tony Thaxton, did you know, among his many accolades in his distinguished and controversy-free career, that Bill Cosby once had a number four song? I did not. I know he has an album, yeah, uh, which I have not covered yet. Uh, I have almost have mixed feelings about covering it, but uh, I have not yet heard the record, so, and I definitely didn't know there was any chart success. It's really, really strange. I kind of feel like all of the um, internet articles I used to research this were all lying, because it, it, it seems impossible to me that all of these songs could have been as wildly successful as uh, the internet claims that they were. So Bill Cosby made an album called Silver Throat. Mm -hmm. Bill Cosby sings. I don't need to tell you that. And, you know, it's also an open question exactly how funny was Bill Cosby to begin <laughs> with. And, come, you know, stand-up is funny how it ages. And I'm sure that if you went and watched Bill Cosby himself or um, the Cosby show, there would be things about it that would hold up. But when he was doing stuff that was a little bit more conceptual, yeah. Like, for example, the song Little Old Man is about a man who gets hit by the train every day. Every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First, he gets hit by a train, and then he gets run over by elephants. And it's just Bill Cosby talk singing over um, Uptight by Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and this was a number four song on the charts in the late 60s. I said, mm. He said, every day, about this time, I said, well, why do you just sit out here then? He said, because I cannot believe that it's happening. I said, reach out. Take my hand. You'll understand. You weren't lying. I, I I thought you were just like, it sounds like this TV. <laughs> no, there's the chorus and everything. Yeah. Number four. 
crazy on the charts i who needed to hear that i was i would say more than once but did you does anybody anybody was anybody disappointed when uh, i stopped that uh, that's yeah what a weird time I, I I'm now I mean I've been curious about that album. I actually have a copy of it, but I have not listened to it. And because uh, you know, yeah, it's it's Bill Cosby sings, but uh, not so much there. So I'm I'm curious if he actually is singing on the other songs or not. Uh, yeah, you'll have to listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Get there someday. I was thinking of doing a uh, like a themed month at some point of of basically uh, like disgraced. Uh, public figures yeah i think uh, you can turn a negative into a positive and 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 preemptively silence the woke crowd yeah yeah because i feel like yeah i can't just uh do a bill casby episode and i always talk about you know i'm not making fun of them celebrating but i feel like yeah that's, I, well, that's uh, the other thing i know yeah, i know it'd be different uh, because i just shit on everything yeah you actually <laughs> have to, you, you would be um by the stated creed of your show celebrating bill cosby i know which i felt weird a couple of weeks ago because i did a scott bayo album and he's a you know yeah big time nut job these days and uh what did, I felt- uh, what did bayo get up to musically uh, early, it was '82. You don't say. And uh, yeah, is Willie Ames on the album? He is not. Damn he it. is not. But I believe it was the same year that Zapped came out. Right. So, um, yeah, it's just a you know, it's mostly covers, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, a few songs that were I think written for him, maybe. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's about what you think it's gonna be. Yeah. The offer not, was there. The check was nice. Yeah, it was, a day, it, it was a day in a studio. Yeah, and I, I mean, he's even again, even though he, he's a terrible human being. In some interviews, like I've, he even like says he's like, I was terrible. Like yeah. you know, they were just like, doesn't matter. You can, you're on TV. You'll sell a couple million or a couple whatever records. Right, and, right, uh, right, right. And he's like, all right, yeah, you're not so. making an album. You're making an album cover, basically. Yeah, the photo shoot is is what we have you here yeah. for. So fast forward to 1974, and as I mentioned, we are now in the golden era of oh, yeah. successful chart-topping <laughs> novelty songs. I do not think you will be hearing the song The Streak by Ray Stevens for the first time. <laughs> oh, Ray Stevens, the king of the novelty songs. According to, now streaking, I don't know what exactly um, prompted the streaking craze yeah but it really was a thing people were doing it at baseball games i i think this the success of this song had a lot to do uh, first of all it's a fucking terrific piece of music but (laughs) secondly the the single came out a week or two before the notorious streaker at the oscars Mm. so streaking got as big in pop culture as it did when this song was ready made and timing may have had a lot to do with the success because ray stevens was not the only person who thought of doing a novelty song about streaking by stevens's own estimation there were um already 15 songs released about streaking by the time he made one (laughs) and in total there would end up being as many as 40 wow streaking was hot Let's let's all let's each do let's each pick our top twenty favorite streaking <laughs> songs. <laughs> How many ways can you go? I mean, no. <laughs> I, I I legitimately uh, were you. Can you think of a, another one at all off no, the top of I your can't, head? But if you yeah. want to do a Patreon crossover episode, we do the top twenty <laughs> streaking songs of all time. I don't need to tell you, I will be there. Let's see. There's so many different versions of this on iTunes. Let's. I'm going to take the greatest hits version. I assume this is the definitive recording. Of, I got to assume the streak. Yeah. <laughs> People imitating news reporters. <laughs> Sneakily, a huge hallmark of mid seventies. Yeah, novelty hit songs. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I'll, I'll I won't mention it yet because no, maybe, maybe you're it's, maybe it's, you're it's getting it's there. probably next. Go ahead. Uh, I was just. Are you? Uh, is Dickie Goodman at all on this list? No, but he's about to be. Okay. <laughs> are you aware of Dickie Goodman at all? No. Uh, boy, oh boy, because I actually played a clip, uh, of him on this current episode that's out this week on the show. Um, he had a couple of songs 
uh, the, I think it's, it's, not, it's not the Mr. Jaws thing, is yes. it? Yes. Okay, yeah, that's next. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Right. Well, I'll let you take it from here then. No, tell me everything you know about Mr. Jaws. Uh, well, I don't. I, I, I did do an episode of, of about Mr. Jaws on Patreon a while back, but, you know, I've done so many episodes now that the details start to get fuzzy. Look, um, there's, nothing, there's nothing to say about it. It's fairly self-explanatory. It's... <sighs> It's an a it's a below average bit that somebody would make up for your local morning zoo station. Yeah, I I feel like I like I'm not even gonna say I think I know, and to the best of my unless this is the back of my mind that I didn't remember ever hearing this song or one of his other songs, quote unquote. Yeah, uh, I like I did stuff like this when I was a kid. Yes. Like yes, I literally would make these. Yes, you were you were a man at a time. Had you only been born <laughs> two decades earlier, you could have been a chart topping superstar because the streak went all the way to number one. And I think it was number one for about a year and a half in nineteen seventy four and seventy five. <laughs> um and uh, yeah, Dickie Goodman's Mr. Jaws comes along in nineteen seventy five, reaching number four on the charts. And as I'm saying it out loud, I think there is something to the morning zoo thing because people did that was a huge phenomenon of making parody songs and shit on on top 40 radio in but scott shannon is popularly credited with inventing and then popularizing the morning zoo format and that was not until the early 80s so maybe this is just the precursor to you know rather than having your local station make their own local shitty unfunny comedy songs uh-huh. They would st- instead have national artists that were sort of in effect effectively supplying that right. to them. Right. So yeah, Mr. Jaws, um, a number four song, if a song it may be so called. We are here on the beach where a giant shark has just eaten a girl swimmer. Well, Mr. Jaws, how was it? Ah, no! And what did she say when you grabbed her? Please, mister, please. I know sharks are stupid, but what did you think when you took that first bite? How sweet it is. Mr. Jaws, before you swim out to sea, have you anything else to say? Yeah. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing yeah. that that... Uh, not, not mind-blowing that it exists, but yeah, that that was number four. And... Uh, I know because this the thing that I played on my show this week was a, a another quote unquote song called Energy Crisis '74 that he nice. did. It was which was also a big hit, and it's the exact same format. You know, it's hey, him. If it ain't, like, if it ain't broke, yep. <laughs> but I think that predates Mr. Jaws. Uh, yeah, but same exact same thing. Fake kind of news reporter, and then song clips that are somewhat related to what he's asking also did dickie goodman clear all of those different tracks before he put them in no 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 i can i can tell you he did not i was gonna say yeah it seems unlikely right yeah so i don't think he asked james taylor for james taylor's um uh, permission to use that in the number four hit song which i think means later on he had to make some designer imposter knockoff recordings of the hit songs to continue uh. pressing the record little little bit of fun mr jaws trivia for you there <laughs> and again it's very hard to overstate just how far you could go with a novelty song in the mid 70s and probably no song uh demonstrates that fact better than convoy <laughs> cw mccall that's right so Let's try to think about what a fad for CB radio <laughs> might have been all about. Because there's no debating the fact that CB radios were were white hot. Yeah, which I did not realize. I, I knew they were popular, but I did not realize how big of a thing they were. Cause <laughs> like, I, I know that when I was watching movies as a kid and they would have to talk to somebody on a CB, that always seemed kind of cool that they had their little you know trucker lingo and stuff like that. I didn't know that... that the power of communicating over those while driving a truck had had captivated the imagination of the nation. Yeah, I, I looked into all of this a few months ago because I did a I covered an entire record that was sold exclusively at Radio Shack. Yeah, because they had a specific model, I think, of CBs that were really popular that were only sold at Radio Shack. Except no imitations. Yeah. So then there was this record uh, called All Ears, and it's like ten songs, and they're all. It said like with a CB theme, and uh, so yeah, it, it, it. 
I had no idea of the phenomenon to the fact that entire albums were made and then novelty songs and movies kind of more or less based on CBs and No, yeah. there's a movie that this this song inspired the 1978 Sam Peckinpah film of the same name. And I don't really know who Sam Peckinpah is, but I know he's <laughs> I know he's somebody whose name I'm supposed to respect. <laughs> it's a good name. It's Peckinpah. Ter- oh my god, it's fucking terrific. Yeah. It's so it's so good. This was a number 1 song uh on both the country and pop charts and i didn't know this song someone people who listen to the show will know will pendarvis will played it on the jason ellis show several years ago and it was completely new to me he's a little bit older and had grown up in alabama so i believe he had some of the lyrics <laughs> right. tattooed near his genitals yeah i uh i also <laughs> was not familiar with this until somewhat recently as well yeah here's convoy by c w mccall also rock solid name there <laughs> i'm about to put the hammer down I mean, let's think about the other things that are being released in 1974. <laughs> I think is, is Marvin Gaye still alive, right? He's he's past his like, uh, yeah. like, like... Oh, yeah, I think he was around still in the 80s. That's so, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, He would have been past doing the, you know, the, the teeny bopper kind of stuff for Motown and w- would have been more into the socially conscious era of his pop. Yeah. Like, anybody who put out a pop record in 1974 who failed to have a number one song because C.W. McCoy's <laughs> convoy <laughs> had blocked your path. Yeah, because that's probably like, that's like prime Stevie Wonder, you know, yeah. coming back to him. Sure. I feel like queen was around at that point yeah. maybe not like quite what well, they stevie became, wonder but, had uh, obviously <laughs> decided he couldn't beat them so he was just gonna join <laughs> yeah, right. pour out his services <laughs> to to chart topping bill cosby oh, uh, let's see what else we got here oh yeah and then of course <clears throat> in 1976 once again this is not a song that people heard once or twice this is not a thing that uh kicked around on the fringes of the charts once again, a number one chart-topping smash hit, radio DJ Rick D's. <laughs> I had a feeling. And Disco Duck. I was on the dance floor acting strange. Flapping my arms, I began to cluck. Look at me, I'm the Disco People wanted to hear that. <laughs> okay. Over and over and over. Here's my question with this song. Oh, yeah. Because I also covered this on Patreon recently. Sure. Uh, the other songs we've played today, you know, while we can, you know, it, with 2021 20, eyes, roll them uh, at, at these songs like, you know, it's cheesy, whatever. This song, what, what is the joke? <laughs> right. Like what? Why? Why was this? Why was this so huge? Like, what's okay, funny okay, about but, this? Okay, let's let's review some of the songs. <laughs> There's the guy who is sick of waiting for people to finish their cigarettes. There's Bill Cosby talking to a little old man who gets hit by a train every day. There's Ray Stevens in a celebration of running around naked. There's the guy um, interviewing Jaws and just playing. <laughs> ill-matched clips of popular songs of the day and then there's i'm not sure anybody has ever really figured out what the story of convoy is other than there's a bunch of trucks driving across the country it has something to do with because one of them has uh a hogs on it and it literally has to do with like it stinking from the hog shit and like the oh, trucks really? kind of there's something along those lines I, again that's the details are a little uh, gone from my head right I think now they but were protesting something along some arcane uh rules of national trucking regulations like they didn't want to stop at way stations or something uh-huh. it definitely had something to do with the um the individual freedom of the trucker versus uh-huh. the increasingly rigid rules and codes of of a nationalized trucking system yeah i don't think anybody who 
demanded that Sam Peckinpah adapt that song into a motion picture really understood what Convoy was about. Yeah. At least Disco Duck was musically, it was surfing on top of the wave because that's 1976. So that's probably just as disco songs mm-hmm. are beginning to to um, really top the charts. So uh, yeah, as they I, would I say that, as they would say it. on Solid Gold, you know, it's got to beat, and I can dance to it. Uh huh. That was sort of the criteria for a lot of hit songs at the time. So the joke did not need to add much to it if people just could not get enough of that particular swinging beat. Your point is well taken. <laughs> it's really <laughs> baffling to me because again, the other ones I can at least somewhat understand yeah like maybe what people maybe at the time found some humor in but this one i just baffles me i think people thought it was funny that donald duck was doing disco oh that is funny yeah (laughs) let me let me recontextualize (laughs) a lot of people don't get rick d's the first time around (laughs) and d's managed to ride that out is he still on the air out here Uh, I know he came back at one point. I'm not sure if he still is or not. Rick Dees was as big as a top 40, which is fair. He's the only guy whose stupid, shitty novelty song went number one on the charts. I guess that does make you king shit of of top 40. But he was um, a huge deal in Los Angeles and at least regionally syndicated for forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, yeah, the song was big everywhere. Because, I mean, I've known of him my entire life. That's right. And I knew of, it was weird, I knew of this song, but then when I went back and listened to it, I was like, have I actually heard this, though? Like, I, I was aware of it, but yeah. when I listened, to it was not familiar to me. No, Disco Duck is his, his song. It has it had legs. Most of, us, most of us know more by <laughs> reputation. Okay, but here's the thing. Can I say something that's probably sacrilegious? You say um, unfunny. You say you're not even entirely clear what the joke is. <laughs> I say both of those things mostly about the 1978 number 17 hit King Tut recorded Mm. by Steve Martin. Yeah. I love Steve Martin. Who doesn't love Steve Mm -hmm. Martin? There's something wrong with you if you don't love Steve Martin. I'm here to say that, I I mean, I guess I get where if you watched it on Saturday Night Live, just the simple act of King Tut having a band yeah. But it was one of those things where I'd always seen five second clips of it in, you know, repackaged for highlight shit or on Best of Saturday Night Live by the VHS TV commercials. I always assumed that when I watched it, there would be a little bit more there. There. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, the visual, I think, helps a little bit. But yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. It's just, I think it's just the overall silliness of it, right. I guess. Right. So here's, the, as I say, number 17, Steve Martin and, um, I forget, he had a very funny name for the band. I'll, I'll find that while I play the song King Tut. Sorry, if you've never heard that before, <laughs> and I don't tell you that that's King Tut, that that's a Steve Martin, and you can't guess, is that is that heads and shoulders above Mister Jaws? Ah, man, I don't know. I I I kind of have a soft spot for. It, I'm not gonna lie. That's fair. I'm sure I'm in the in the very small minority on this. The band, oh, by I, the way, I'm not I'm not claiming it's great. Yeah, it's just it's it, it at least has the uh, nostalgia effect. Like Steve Martin was a, a huge thing, like uh, in my family growing up. Oh, I so see. like yeah, so I kind of have like a I have a soft spot for it. That's different. Yeah. The band was actually members of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, but they were billed on that as the Toot Uncommons. <laughs> That's fucking rock solid right there. And uh, no conversation of successful novelty songs would be complete without Pac-Man Fever. Mm -hmm. Buckner and Garcia. Buckner and Garcia. Yeah, I actually want to talk a little bit about about, uh, Buckner and Garcia. I'm I'm not in a hurry here. I've actually, I've gone several songs deep on Buckner and Garcia. I find them kind of uh, intriguing. So Pac-Man Fever, people probably remember. This one kind of just makes sense to me. It was just... Video games were so fucking big, and they were big with snot-nosed kids, and, Mm -hmm. you know, here we go.
sounds like an like an like a Greg Kinn album track. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if anybody listening wants wants more on Pac Man Fever, there's an entire album, and I did a I did an episode on the entire album. You can hear that one for free. Um, and uh, yeah, apparently the entire record because they yeah. had made that song. Yes, and then it got popular, and then got signed to a label yeah. and apparently wrote all these other songs and I, then I, I, lo- I love an album that has to be written like now yeah like they churned out these songs and then i guess the label heard it and they're like no these need to all be video game songs yes and so they like they yeah they like scrambled and just wrote a bunch of songs about video games like in I think it was like two weeks or something like that. Like wrote and recorded. Yep. For example, and, uh, the 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 stillborn follow up single, "Do the Donkey Kong." I'm here to argue a superior hook. I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be on. I think you might be right there. Come yeah. on. Uh, the I forget which. I know. One. I think I, I think I know where you're going to go. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, it's not about this album in particular, but the one one of them has passed away, and I don't remember which who is who. But um, one of Buckner or Garcia has also been involved with. Um, and we don't have them out here, but uh, I'm sure you're at least familiar with the Waffle House. Yep, sure. sure. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, at uh, Kid Rock buys the whole place every time he goes. There. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, anybody that's never been to a Waffle House, or even if you have and you've never taken a look at the jukebox, there is a section of their jukebox that is just songs about Waffle House. Oh, okay, sure. And um, either Buckner or Garcia has been um, very involved with a lot of those. Uh, I don't. I believe he's produced a lot of them, and I think maybe Andor wrote a lot of those songs as well. Yeah, I love. <laughs> I love a solid exit strategy. <laughs> so the, uh, the the one that really caught my eye off of that album that, as you said, they put together very very um, quickly is uh, so they followed up with the single "Do the Donkey Kong," but their intention was to follow up Pac-Man fever with the surprisingly heartfelt E.T. I love you. (laughs) Get a little taste of that. Miles from home All alone You were left behind in a world you didn't know I did not know about that one. It's on the album. It is? <clears throat> yeah, it's at least on the version that I got. Let's see, I'm looking at... We got Pac-Man Fever. Let's go through all the hits. Uh, we got Pac-Man Fever, Froggy's Lament. Yeah, I remember that. Ode to a center, Centipede, mm-hmm. Do the Donkey Kong, Hyperspace, The Defender, Mousetrap, Going Berserk, E.T. I Love You, and Hostage. I feel like this is like a weird, like later deluxe version or something. <laughs> because I, I really don't think that well, was well, on the. Was ED... ET out in 81, 82? Mm, it came out in 82, I believe. Um, also, I do think, if I remember correctly, too, they had to. I think what is on streaming services now is re recorded. Like it was one of those things where they had to re record oh, sure, the whole they, they album. They didn't own the masters. And, yeah, right, yeah. Right, right. So it might be like a, a later version that w- it was added to that or something. Okay. I, I, I'm embarrassed to admit that I, I really do need to know this. No, I think you're right. The original <laughs> album was an eight track album. And then ET, I love you. 
was on a re-release, but it was recorded right around the same time because maybe what it was is that they had made the album so quickly that they recorded E.T. I Love You like six weeks after right. the album and realized it was a superior song to anything that they had ready to go <laughs> in the album. It says here Steven Spielberg was fully on board with them releasing E.T. I Love You. It's, I guess he he gave it his, his blessing. Uh-huh. The only reason why they released Do the Donkey Kong instead was because Neil Diamond's Heartlight right. was already burning up the charts and mm-hmm. they just didn't think that that song could hang. I think it's just as terrible as Heartlight. I think it had a great <laughs> chance. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see what. Oh, and uh, did you ever talk about Merry Christmas in the NFL from Buckner yes, and Garcia? I, I, I touched on it briefly in the episode. I forgot yeah. about it till right now. Fuck, I'm gonna play a little bit of it. It's so strange. There's just layers of this that I, that make no sense to me. First of all, that they thought of recording this and liked the idea enough to actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's the fact that it went out. And then there's the fact that apparently this song was also on the fast track to success until Howard Cosell threatened legal action. Oh, I don't think I knew that part. Yeah, and that's when they and that's when the label uh, uh, stopped supporting it and they had to move on to Pac-Man-themed music. <laughs> Hold on, I'll play a little clip of it. When out on the street there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. And what was my wondering eyes should be seen but Howard Cosell in a black limousine. It's Merry Christmas. In the NFL. Merry Christmas. And we wish you well. Here's a helmet, a mistletoe, and cheerleader pictures autographed to you. <clears throat> I think it's worth noting that uh, King Tut borrows liberally. <laughs> Musically. <laughs> Good call. You can Good say call. King yeah. Tut to Merry Christmas in the yeah. NFL. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's another one that uh don't really get. Nope. And then, you know, it's funny because most of these songs are, we choose to forget that most of them ever happen, and yet they were massive success, um, success stories. I think most people do know that the Zappas collaboratively made the song Valley Girl. Mm-hmm. And that I think most people have heard that are familiar with that song. Only a um, only a number thirty two song on the charts, which makes sense because it's completely unlistenable. <laughs> so I have a couple of questions about that. Uh, well, I'll just I'll play a little bit of it for for anybody who doesn't know. Uh, I think she was billed at the time as Moon. She's she was Moon Unit. His kids yeah. were Ahmet, Dweezil, and Moon Unit. And I think mm-hmm. even by then she was like, can we? Can we, you know, pump the brakes a little bit? <laughs> so I think she was Moon Moon Zappa by the time um, the uh, this song came out. Anyway, he goes, "Are you into SM?" I go, "Oh, right. Could you like just picture me in a like a leather teddy?" Yeah, right. Hurt me, hurt me. I'm sure no way. So Frank Zappa, I, f- I forget the exact details of the story, but it involves him waking up his like l- early teenage daughter at three o'clock in the morning going, honey, 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 I've got a great idea. You need to come downstairs right now <laughs> <laughs> and record some vocals. And you tend to think, well, that's somebody that's on a bunch of a, bu- a bunch of drugs. Frank Zappa, I think, was an absolute teetotaler and, and probably a way ahead of his time vegan, which just goes to show as a rock star, you don't need to be on coke to abuse your children. <laughs> Yeah, he's a, what a, a, just a, and just wrote the strangest, most, uh, just the the music he made, like, I kind of only recently have, like, kind of dove in a little further on him, and mm-hmm. just, like, it's bananas. Have like, you found anything that you can, like, would ever choose to listen to? Uh, there, there are moments on uh, Apostrophe uh, that are pretty cool, I think, uh, the, the it's they're ridiculous still yeah, right. but it's just but they're in a fun way though like saint alfonso's pancake breakfast <laughs> is a song on there that's like i hear like this is pretty incredible like that it first of all that anyone made this song yeah and then back in 72 or whatever it was when he made that yeah, and, for people uh, who don't know because i think people think of him if you know 
if you only know one thing about him, I think you know of him as being a guy who made wacky outsider music. Yeah. But um, his guitar, his guitar playing was really, really great. His guitar writing was off the charts, which is why he wasn't, even though he was an amazing guitar player, he always had like three other guys that were better than him in yeah. the band. So on a guitar level, they were on a completely different planet. And then I, I, I do believe that then and now as a composer, this stuff is taken seriously and it's just yeah it's hard to take it seriously because it's so hard to listen to and it is supposed to be wacky and funny and yet yeah. at the core of it it's stuff that the likes are you of you or i would never understand just how amazing what he's doing from a pure musical perspective and indeed you know his son is still touring the shit today yeah. and the family's torn apart over who gets the money from mm -hmm. it he, he enjoys um a, a pretty acclaimed reputation within people you know I, I think even in like the classical community people can tell oh yeah this guy knows knew what the hell he was doing yeah because i think later he even started to write some like uh like symphonic pieces for yeah. get to, and was like conducting these orchestras playing these songs he wrote um yeah like he knew it wasn't just like this dude like he was kind of a badass with what he like he knew what he was doing and i think literally would like write out the charts for the songs There's and these no crazy horn it. parts and all yeah it's uh it's it's nuts yeah the story supposedly with steve Vai's entry into the music world is that he's a big zappa fan and he's obviously you know practicing guitar quite a bit but he transcribed yep. zappa stuff and mailed it to zappa and zappa was like oh my god who is this fucking kid this is exactly right and then he hired him and that's what i was i believe after that billed as stunt guitars on the zappa <laughs> albums and uh -huh. then the first thing that steve i did when he went solo is just a flat out zappa record he yeah. made an album called flexible in a shed in his backyard i like it but it's 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 zappa i've read interviews with him he's a cool cool you know he down to earth very very sensible guy and a lot the of what, zappa you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and, and a lot of what he had to say was he he was making wacky music to express his uh, you know um very sensible well-placed outrage at ludicrous mm -hmm. things he saw in both music culture and in just pop culture in in general yeah. here's my thing on valley girl though <clears throat> i'm not calling bullshit at all i went looking i was unable to find a single video of an actual valley girl in the 80s actually talking like that you can find clips from the movie <laughs> right you can find no shortage of people doing valley girl accents how many people actually talked how much like that because it's completely right. lost to history at this point yeah and it seemed to be such a specific thing in a specific area so yeah. like it seems like why did that play so well to the country you know what i mean was that how close was it it might have been right around the movie I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Because even, it, it did go beyond, like, is Gag Me, Gag Me With a Spoon, I think we can all agree, is the <laughs> seminal Valley Girl Yeah, probably phrase. so, yeah. Is that in the movie Valley Girl? I haven't seen it in, I don't in think, years. I don't think I've actually ever seen it. Because um, for some weird reason, there was a national consciousness yeah. of Valley Girl lingo. Yeah, but I, I don't know how and why that happened. Yes. Uh, there's a fun... Um, both Frank and Moon together on uh, David Letterman when when Valley Girl came out, the right. two of them as as a guest together and uh, not performing. I don't think they perform it, but yeah. there's an interview with the both of them. And uh, I'm a big sucker for old Letterman stuff. So sure. that's a that's a fun watch. If anybody I, cares. I saw a little bit of a clip where she's performing it on. I mean, I don't think it was Solid Gold, but it may as well have been. And and yeah, and they've it's cool because they managed to kind of do something that was appropriate for the show while also doing something that was appropriate for their brand. She's uh -huh. just rolling her eyes, lip syncing the vocals as she's supposed to. And then they just had a bunch of teens dressed like ludicrous Valley girls doing these ludicrous, this ludicrous dance. Yeah. So if you were a, if you were a kid and just thought it was a silly song, you would love it. And if you were an adult who got that they were trashing an entire subculture, it totally worked on right. that level as well. Yeah. So, uh, so well done. Uh, let me see. Obviously, Weird Al comes along at this point. We don't need to play any any Weird Al. I didn't know that he'd had a top 100 hit with a song called Canadian Idiot. Idiot. Uh, I'm aware of that song. I don't. I didn't know it was. A, I didn't know it was even a single. Yeah, Eat It and um and White and Nerdy both went top 10. You and I, I believe, have discussed on this show the regrettable comedic stabs at hip hop. Rap and Rodney comes to mind most. <laughs> yeah, most readily. <laughs> And then I think, I just have a couple more things I want to play for you. I feel like at that point in the culture, we sort of transition into artists who don't know that they're making novelty songs. Uh huh. That's the big difference. Okay, 
I know he's recently deceased with all due respect, is Just a Friend by Biz Marquee, a novelty song. Hmm. I never really necessarily, I don't personally think so, but mm-hmm. I can understand why it would be seen that way. Compared to all of the songs we played so far, no. Of, right. co- of right. course not. But does the success of it not depend on the unintentional comedy of him not being able to sing? Yeah, I don't, I don't Was that know. song, because supposedly, right, I heard this recently, he had hired a singer to do the hook and they just didn't show up. Oh, I've not heard that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know a ton about the, the actual song I didn't, history. I didn't yeah. until, and what, you know, was, what becomes of that song? If just generic yeah. late 80s female vocalist yeah, lady does, does the hook. Um, but I'm not here to talk about Bismarck Key. I'm here to talk about LFO. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I love this song so much. <laughs> this song is mind-blowing. It's just insane. I don't know what clip they're going to have here. I don't know which clip. I'm going to leave it up to iTunes because I couldn't possibly choose. Every <laughs> single lyric in the song is such pristine, pure, spun, skin gold. Yeah, it is just like, here's a line, here's another line. Yeah. Here's a line, here's another line. It's just like, here's some sort of pop culture reference, and then we'll rhyme that with another sort of pop culture reference that has nothing to do with the previous one. With anything. Here we go. When you take a sip, you buzz like a hornet. Billy Shakespeare wrote a whole bunch of sonnets. Call me Willie Whistle because I can't speak, baby. Something in your eyes went and drove me crazy. Now I can't forget you and it makes me mad. Left one day and never came back. Stayed all summer, then went back home. Macaulay Culkin wasn't home alone. Fell deep in love, but now we ain't speaking. Michael J. Fox was Alex P. Keaton. When I met you, I said my name is Rich. You look like a girl from Abercrombie and Fitch. New kids on the block had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. And I think it's fly when girls stop by for the summer. It's an absolute masterpiece. <laughs> it really kind of is because it's so it's so stupid, but I will smile every time I hear that song because I'm just blown away at how stupid it is. <laughs> it's never not fun. It's just it's just like yeah, it's just a line after a line of just nonsense. So what I, What LFO said, LFO claims to be in on the joke. They said that um, it's all a bunch of inside jokes and that they had made a demo, mm-hmm. which got leaked to a radio station. And then that took on um, a life of its own. And I think at that point you have no choice. Once a radio station somewhere is playing your demo, you do run down to a studio and you make a real recording of yeah. the thing. But it's just unbelievable the song has cultural references cherry coke macaulay culkin michael j fox new edition kevin bacon new kids on the block uh larry bird cherry oh, right. i forgot about the larry bird larry bird the color purple is <laughs> referenced it's oh my god yeah it really is because what that that come out in what like 98 99 99 very okay. very close yeah yeah so i was I was like 21 when that came out and I I remember I remember the first time the first time I heard it was also saw the video at the same time and it just blown away like what the fuck is this what am I watching what am I hearing and uh, okay well England has their own little trajectory of novelty stuff I don't know how familiar you are with the phenomenon of Christmas number ones it's a thing. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure I totally get it. People really, really care in England. At least yeah. cheesy, silly people do. People either who have bad taste or enjoy keeping their tongue in cheek. The The song that is number one on Christmas, I think that's actually what the Christmas number one is. It's a mm-hmm. big deal. And so people release stuff to try to time it on that. And it, it's sometimes I think it is something that would be sincere and you know schmaltzy if you wanted to try to do a song about it's been 10 years since princess die passed away that would be the time to do it yeah but apparently uh, okay i don't know if you're familiar i know you know who bob the builder is (laughs) but i've watched bob the builder quite a bit bob the builder has enjoyed numerous number one hits i was not aware of this in the uk yeah and um yeah, well, I'll play you a little bit. In 2001, I am led to believe this was Bob the Builder's second consecutive Christmas <laughs> number one hit. Hell yeah, Bob. <laughs> Good for you, Bob. <laughs> a little bit of timber and a saw, a little bit of fix 
I guess you had to be there. I, you know, so, I, I'm not surprised because I, my kids, I, I was listening to songs from Teen Titans, and my my daughter suggested the um, the the Korean vocal of "Let It Go" from Frozen this morning. I don't know how that got in there. <laughs> I don't know who's I don't know who's been getting in her head. But it's not unusual that they want to listen to random shit from their yeah, shows. Yeah. Just how that that popped to a place where that could have any. Um, widespread uh, people even been aware of it, much less care to listen to it. Right, uh, Bob the Builder's British. Uh, I don't think I knew this. He might be. He really might be. Um, Again, I've ne- I'm only aware of its exist of his existence. Uh, I've never yeah. seen. Uh, I think that. Well, I think there's two versions of. They, they all have different voiceovers. So if yeah, you find yeah. a British version, it. It might be, and I want to say I actually think it's pretty badass. The guy I could have every single one of these facts I'm about to say wrong. Badass, it's real badass. I actually want to talk to the guy who made Bob the Builder because I, I love these kinds of stories. There was a guy who was working for, and again, this could all be incorrect, but I believe he was working for a really big children's entertainment TV company. I think it's HIT or HIT. They do like Thomas the Tank Engine ship, mm-hmm. which is also British. I'm pretty sure Bob the Builder is British, and um, he. Uh, he made that and it became the global phenomenon that it is. And he, uh, the company owned every single bit of it because Uh he'd been an employee for them at the time. And he left, excuse me, he left and made Paw Patrol, which you may not be familiar with, but Paw Patrol is like as big. And now they've got a movie coming out this summer. And I think it is, I can only imagine how that feels Uh to show up with the idea and to see, Oh yeah, we're going to make it. Oh great. I get to keep my job. Maybe I get a little raise. Oh my God. This thing is making hundreds of millions of dollars and I am entitled to zero of them and to leave and go, especially in that um, arena where you have to place your bet on something you don't actually like. It's one thing to be in the Commodores and go, I can go be Lionel Richie all by myself, but to go, no, I've got this other idea about dogs that find (laughs) other people's lost shit. Trust me, you know, because I'm sure he was making a lot of money, you know, with the Bob the Builder people. So I'm very happy for whatever the hell that guy's name is. Um, One more thing and then we'll wrap this up. I had not until yesterday ever heard Friday by Rebecca Black. Oh, boy. And uh, the story is uh, is is pretty pretty interesting, I think, if I understand the backstory correctly. But for other people who, like myself, sat that pop culture phenomenon out, here's a little taste. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday, getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to Yeah, I wanted to make sure we got to the fun, fun, fun. fun <laughs> I forgot fun, about the fun, 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 fun. It's been a while since I've heard that one. Uh, I think she uh, she somehow has like bounced back from all this. Like I I believe she is uh, like actually making music now and like is not seen as like this. Can you I know? tell you? Can I tell you something? As somebody who came into this totally cold, I I'd seen stills of it, and that's uh-huh. about. I must have heard a clip of it, but I don't remember it. In my opinion. The camera loves Rebecca Black. I don't think this song is as successful as it is if there isn't a tiny little kernel of actually liking the little girl at the uh-huh. at the center of this ludicrous musical maelstrom. Yeah. It's not to say, I mean, what I think about her looks or whatever, she's not, you know, she's not born to be a supermodel. Some people, just the camera, they just say, you know, <laughs> it seems like it should be pretty easy. Well, you're a dumb tween girl singing about Friday. Just get in front of the camera and act like it. Have you seen LeBron James try to be LeBron James in a movie? Have you seen Michael <laughs> Jordan try to be Michael Jordan in a movie? It's not that simple. Right. And so she she kind of weirdly did nail that bit. If, if I understand the phenomenon of that correctly, maybe you know. Her mom wanted to, her to make a music video or a song or something. So there was some company that... I believe was, it's something along these lines. They paid the company like $4,000 to write the song, record her singing the song, mix and you know, release the song, and make the music video. It's a pretty pro music video for, for yeah. four grand if you throw in a music group. I don't see how those guys are making any money. Indeed, I think they said that they... Um, they went. They spent double that amount of money actually making the music video because they're terrible at making music and budgeting uh-huh. their money. 
and then is it because of the 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 ownership of the song became very murky uh -huh. because of the nature of the way that it was made and i think at one point when it was over 100 million views on youtube um it got taken down because there was the dispute over who was oh, actually wow. supposed to, to profit from oh there's a lot yeah yeah the because i believe the guy that does the rap part yes. is the guy who wrote it and did all the stuff i believe well done tony thaxton uh also if you're not familiar there is another song that kind of came from this same thing, I believe. I'm in no rush. I forget the name of the artist, but the song is called Chinese Food. Okay. And uh, you're going to both love me and hate me for this. Is this is this I Love Chinese Food by yep. the artist Chinese Food? Uh, the song is... Is it... Oh, is it uh, Chinese Food by Jimmy Wong? No, it's a, it's a young girl again. Um... Okay, I need to know. Because oh, I this one would not leave my head. Allison for... Gold. Is yep, that right? that's that is correct. Again, I, I'm pretty sure this is the same uh, people involved. It definitely seems that way. Because I'm pretty sure the the dude rapping is in this one as well. <laughs> After Okay, there's going to be a coda to this episode, though, because my children um, legitimately love Chinese food. Uh, <laughs> Did I just ruin your life? No, I, I have a feeling that if I just just slide that on after the Korean version of Let It Go before we listen to Bob the Builder sing Mambo Number no. 5, uh -huh. I, I have a feeling there will be requests for repeat listings. Well, that's what I said. So, yes, I just ruined your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, love, we love Chinese food, and we will love I love Chinese food. All right, that's everything that I've got. Thank you, as always, for your time and uh, and insight. The Bizarre Albums podcast is, if you've enjoyed this episode, it is everywhere you want to be. And uh, Tony Thaxton, let's, uh, let's get a coffee. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. <laughs>